Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 4. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Good morning all. Uh, welcome to church today. Let me have my welcome to Alex's. Um, it's good to be together, isn't it, um, uh, on a Sunday morning. Um, if you've been here a while, you'll know we're in the middle of a series of sermons in the book of Ephesians, uh, which is a letter written nearly 2,000 year, years ago to a bunch of churches in what was called Asia back then, what today we call Turkey. Now today, I want to talk about the Trinity, the Trinity. And it has to be said that even Christians sometimes think, um, isn't the Trinity just overcomplicating things a little bit? Like, why can't we just say we believe in one God? Like the Jews do, like the Muslims do, like Jehovah's Witnesses do as well. Why, why can't we just say that and leave it at that? It would be so much simpler. I love Indian food, all right? And when you go for a curry, which most of you have done, at the end of the meal, they always bring you a mint, don't they? And I must admit, I never eat the mint, because to me it spoils the curry, but uh, that's beside the point. The question is this. Is the Trinity like the mint at the end of the meal? Is it just like a nice little treat to round off a meal? Or is the Trinity actually the main course? And I'm going to put it to you today, the Trinity is the main course. That's the thing that matters most. Let me take you to ancient Babylon. All right, and you think, where is he going with this? You'll find out. So, ancient Babylon. This is called the Enuma Elish. Okay, Enuma Elish, which is the Babylonian creation story. Okay? So, in the Babylonian creation story, ancient, ancient Babylon, this is what they believed. They believed there were a bunch of gods, and the gods would really annoy each other. They fought a lot. They killed each other quite a lot. And, uh, and they created wind and earth and fire and planets and stars, basically to use as weapons against each other. Okay? And um, Marduk, you can see on the screen there, uh, was the most powerful of the Babylonian gods. And what he did, according to Babylonian legend, is he rips one of the other gods in half and uses her corpse to fashion the earth and the skies. Marduk has this bright idea. 
if we had some servants, if the gods had some servants, the servants could all do all the work for us and then the gods could live in peace. So Marduk takes the blood of another god that he killed and creates human beings out of that blood as servants. So Marduk can get on with a life of leisure. In Babylonian mythology, our purpose as human beings, our purpose is to serve the gods, to be slaves to them. That's the relationship which they had with their gods, to bow down, worship in slavery. And let me tell you, every one person God is inevitably like that. Every God who is just a singularity creates so that he has slaves and servants. And let me say also, almost everyone who rejects God in our society, that's the God they're rejecting. They're rejecting Marduk. Nobody likes Marduk. That's an awful, horrendous view of what God is like. Nobody wants to have a God who is greedy and self-centered and power-hungry. Think about, think about your friends, maybe some of whom have rejected God. Think of Stephen Fry. That's the God he's rejecting. The Bible gives us a completely different view of who God is. In the Bible, God is three. He is three. He exists in all eternity in loving community. Get this. So this is right. This is page one of the Bible. Okay. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You hear that? There's plurality there, isn't there? Our, let us. God is more than one. But then the very neck, the end of that verse, in fact, says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And so you get this idea that there's some complexity going on here. That this God is, is plurality and yet also singularity. He's three and also one. In case there's any doubt elsewhere in the Bible, there are and lots and lots of places. We can absolutely affirm today that we are monotheists. We believe in one God. So Isaiah 45 verse 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Or Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, very famously, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. He's one. And because he's one, he is united. He is three in one. He is united. There are no battles within him. Unlike the Babylonian gods who constantly fought each other, our God is one. You see, he's three, but he's one. So there are no battles in him. There's no anger in him. There's no war in him. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? Why is, that, why is that the main course and not the mint at the end? Because it means that at the heart of everything in this universe, at the heart of everything, there is a God whose character is built on love and community. That's massively important about how you view the world. So 
Theologians uh, talk about God being one God in three persons. So there's a quality within God. The Father is God. That's this diagram here. The Father is God. Uh, the Son is God. The Spirit is God. But we don't just sort of blend them all together. They, have, they are distinct persons with different roles. Let me show you just a couple of um, verses um, uh, that show you some of the roles within the Trinity. Okay, so this is 1 John 4.14. The Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. The Father has sent the Son. If, you, if you're a teacher and you send a child to the office, it's because you have some kind of hierarchy. There's some kind of authority there, isn't there? Some kind of leadership and headship. The Father sends his Son. Okay, so the Father, it sounds like, has some kind of... Uh, there's some kind of authority headship going on there. And, and Jesus, the Son, doesn't argue about it. There's no fighting, there's no war within the Trinity. He submits to the Father's plan. So John 14, 31, unlike the kids at school, who some of whom will resist your authority and fight to you every inch of that battle, um, Jesus says this, I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. There's a sort of leadership and submission going on there in the Trinity. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So there's a profound sense of unity in there as well, and yet some headship and authority and, uh, and relationship. Listen to this, um, John uh, 17, 24. Uh, Jesus says, you loved me, talking to his Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So what, what was God doing before anything existed, before Genesis 1 verse 1, before God said, let there be light and everything burst into existence? What, what was God doing? God was loving his son. So love and community are at the heart of who our God is. Even before anything else existed, there was community. And love and not competition, not power. It's beautiful teamwork. It's relationship. There's trust. There's leadership. There's submission. And friends, that means that our purpose as human beings is not to be slaves to God. It's not that God needs us. He is complete and happy and fulfilled in himself. So, so why did God make us? Why did God make us? What is our purpose then? It's to share, it's to share his love. There is enough love in God to share with the whole of humanity. Our purpose then is to know God and to glorify God and to enjoy God and, and to know the love of the Father in the Lord Jesus, through Jesus to enter into eternal life with this God, to be known by him, to be embraced into his love that he has for his own son. That's our purpose as human beings. That's very different, isn't it? From what the Babylonians thought, that we are just slaves and servants of this God. No, 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 he invites us in love to come and enjoy him. 
At this point, some of you are thinking this sounds a long way from the book of Ephesians. Like, where on earth are you going? Um, Well, this morning, I just want to show you um, the Trinity in the book of Ephesians. Now, some of you are Bible geeks, and this is your challenge for today. There are seven references to the Trinity in the book of Ephesians. Um, You can go and find them. We're going to talk about four of them this morning, though. Okay? So the first one is this. Uh, And it's really what we've been looking at the last few weeks. Um, This uh, poem, this yeah, this poem really from um, chapter 1, verse 3 down to verse 14, um, that is all about why this God, why the triune God, the God who is Trinity, why he deserves our praise. And we've talked about this for quite some time now, but let me remind you, we praise God the Father because his plans are what happens. Does that make sense? Like you make a plan, I make a plan, it might happen, might not happen. Okay, When God makes a plan, it happens because he orders the universe. So God the Father, his, his thoughts become our reality. Now, that could be terrifying, couldn't it? A God who controls everything like a puppet. Okay? Except the opposite is true. His plan, his will is to make people like us, rebels and sinners, into his children. That's about as far as distant as you can imagine, isn't it? To bring people in to be his children, those that he loves. That's why we praise the Father. And we praise the Son because of his forgiveness and redemption. We come to this Father through Jesus the Son. Jesus said, I'm the gate. He said, I'm the way. We come to the Father through the Son. And one day everything will be united in glorifying and praising and worshipping Jesus. And we praise God the Holy Spirit because, uh, we looked at this last week, I think, um, that Because he opens our eyes to spiritual reality. He makes the scriptures come alive. The Holy Spirit helps us pray. He comforts us. He indwells us. He changes us. He empowers us. He seals us. And all of that is just a deposit. Because what is coming later is so much better. It's been said that um, Catholics focus on the Father. And evangelicals on the Son, and Pentecostals on the Spirit. I think there's probably some truth in that, <laughs> but there shouldn't be. <laughs> I, I know one or two people who all they ever do is talk about the Spirit. All they ever do is talk about the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. They talk about prophecy and speaking in tongues and they go to conferences about the fire and they talk about baptism of the Spirit and indwelling of the Spirit. It's just really unbalanced. I also know people in churches where basically it's Father, Son and Holy Bible. <laughs> and the Spirit kind of doesn't really function at all or doesn't, doesn't feature very much at all. They're so fearful of having too much of the Spirit that they've gone the opposite direction and now he's almost banned. (laughs) I also know people who who would just describe themselves as a Jesus follower. You know, they're not interested in Trinity, they're not interested in the Father, they they just love Jesus, that's what they say. And they have a red-letter Bible with all Jesus' words in red because they must be really special. If you've got one of those, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Let me say that if you're not worshipping the Trinity, the triune God, you're not worshipping the true God. You're not worshipping the God of the Bible. And I understand some of you might say, well, all this sounds very complicated, Mr. Mason. Like, you know, why is it so difficult? And, you know, fair enough, if you're a new Christian, then fair enough, you can quite legitimately say, I follow Jesus, and praise God for that, you know? I follow Jesus. I, too, am a Jesus follower, okay? But if you've been a Christian for a while, how much better to be able to explain what it is that's actually happened to you, that the Spirit has made you come alive, and, and now, and now you, you come to the Father through the Son. That's so much richer and more glorious. We should honour the, the Lord's work in us as far as we're able. As far, as far as you can understand, as deeply as you're able to get, we should do that. Second, the triune God wants us to know him. Right, so let's go a little bit further from where we read today, down to verse 17 in chapter 1. Not much further. So this is a prayer. It says, I, I keep asking. So it's a prayer. It's a prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If I read that again, it's quite complicated. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is a great prayer for people who want to get to know God better. Or for you, if you want to know God better, if you want to know God deeper and more fully, I hope you want that today. I wonder who you address your prayers to when you pray. Perhaps children, I guess, are used to saying maybe... Dear God, X, Y, Z. That's not wrong. Nothing wrong with that. But as, as thinking Christians, we can do better than that. We can do better. Look at who this prayer is addressed to. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Why does the Apostle Paul start his prayer like that? Why does he address God in that way? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. I want to give you two quick reasons. One is, uh, first one, um, uh, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, can, can rightly refer to the Father as God. The Father is the head of God in that sense. He's the instigator. God the Spirit, God the Son, always submit to the Father and honour the Father and do what he says. But there's another reason, I think a better reason, a more glorious reason. Why does Paul say, I keep asking um, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may do this? In the Old Testament, people prayed to the God of Abraham, didn't they? Well, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. When they prayed, they didn't just say, Sometimes they did, dear God, but often they prayed the God of Abraham. They're making it clear that they're not just praying to any old God. If you say, dear God, which, which God are you speaking to? You know? um, they're, they're saying, 
God of Abraham, the God who has made a covenant with me, the God who I know is going to hear my voice, the God who has promised to hear me, the God of Abraham, that's who I'm speaking to. So which God are we praying to? We're not praying to Thor or Zeus, are we? Or Marduk, certainly not Marduk, or some tribal deity somewhere. We're praying to the God of our Lord Jesus, like the God of Abraham. That when, when you pray, you're not praying vaguely to some ethereal deity. You're praying to, to God in Jesus. We, are, we can identify him fully. We're praying to the God who hears us, the God to whom Jesus has opened the way to through the cross. We're praying to the God who hears us because of Jesus. We're praying to the Father who loves you and embraces you because of Jesus. And he says, so I keep on asking that God, the God of the Lord Jesus, I ask that God to give you the Spirit, to give you more of his Spirit, because the Spirit of God will help you to know God better. So you're praying, Father God, Father, I come to you through Jesus, and I ask that you would give me more of your Spirit in my heart so that I would know you better. Friends, that's a great prayer. <laughs> that's a great prayer. Let's have a look at another one. The triune God wants Christ to dwell in us. Okay, so let's move on a little bit further. If you've got a Bible in front of you, chapter 3, verse 14. I need some water. I kneel before the Father. So it's another prayer. I kneel before the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, you think, oh, this is complicated. It's really hard to understand. Let me try and break it down for you. I kneel before the Father, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Father wants to strengthen you in your inner being. The Father wants to strengthen you in your inner being. If you're a Christian today, well, what does that mean? He wants you to be a stronger Christian. He wants you to uh, love God better. He wants you to love those around you better. He wants you to love your neighbours better, your family better, those really difficult kids in your class at school better. He wants you to resist sin better, to have a deeper understanding of who he is, to be more driven by goodness, to be more full of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, to be less driven by selfish ambition. Strengthening your soul. You see what I mean? He wants to strengthen your soul. And out of his glorious riches, he can do that. He can strengthen your soul. Do you want a stronger soul today? Is that what you want? I hope so. Well, he can do that. He can do that. He has all the power needed 
to transform you, to strengthen your soul, to strengthen your inner being. How does that happen? It happens through the Spirit, it says. What the Father wills, the Spirit does. So if you're going to be transformed, it's going to be through the Spirit's work. And the result of that, the result of that will be Christ dwells in your heart. Christ dwells in your heart. Oh, what does that mean? What does it mean to have Christ dwelling in your heart? You say, well, I, I, I think Jesus is in my heart already. Okay, well, this, this word dwell is a really interesting word. It means something that lives there, that settles in. It's like not, not just a visitor for a while, but someone who is at home. Not just a fleeting visitor, not, not, so not, not Christ dwelling in your heart. It's a big conference once in a while and we wave our hands around and it's all great. Or, or not, not Christ coming to uh, live in you for Sunday morning. But Christ come to dwell in your heart. To linger there. To stay with you. To remain with you. So that your heart is full of him. that he might be the dominating factor in all your decisions, in all of your thoughts, that everything, in, everything that is the totality of you, everything bows to him, that you may have rock-solid assurance that you're totally forgiven and totally loved, that you're a child of the Most High God, to know those things with certainty. That's what it means to have Christ dwelling in your heart, to remain there, not just not just on a good day, but forever and always. Prayer is saying, that's what I want for you, my dear friends. That's what I want for you. I want your heart to be full of Christ today. And not just in a temporary way, not just, not just giving you goose pimples on a Sunday morning or at some big conference when the music's really good and there's lots of bass. And I speak as a bass player. <laughs> but don't confuse the bass with the presence of God. <laughs> It's easy to do. <laughs> it's easy to do. If you want to have the presence of God in you, to have a heart full of Him, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Can you see why that's a better prayer than just saying, God, I want more of you. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, that's a great prayer as well. To say, God, I want more of you. But, but to be able to express it more clearly. Isn't that a wonderful thing? As you grow up as a Christian, as you mature as a follower of the Lord Jesus, to be able to say, God, would you please send your spirit into my heart to prepare me, to make me a fitting vessel that the Lord Jesus would remain he would linger in my heart and that I would know him, that I would sense his presence with me all the time, not just on my best days. All right, we're nearly done. Last one. The triune God wants us to sing. So move over a couple of pages in your Bible if you've got it open to chapter 5, verse 18. I think I mentioned these verses last week, actually, as well. 
It says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, doesn't it just? Uh, yep, some of you know what that's like. Uh, do not get drunk on wine, but leads, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is what that might look like, okay? So if you're filled with the Spirit, this is one example of what might change. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you spot the Trinity in there? You seen that? Yeah. So when, when the Spirit fills you, you sing. I, I, th- I, mean, I might be wrong, but I think Christianity is pretty unique in being a singing faith. And there, there, there may be other faiths that do that that I'm not aware of, but, but I think Christianity is, is quite, I think is quite unique that we sing, we sing. And, and singing is one way of connecting your heart to Jesus. You sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Some of you may have noticed I've started, when I get around to it, I've started sending out links to the songs we're going to sing on a Sunday on our social media feed. They're all spotted that. Some of you have, I know you have. The reason for doing that is so that, so that when, when you hear songs on a Sunday morning, you're not thinking, oh, I don't know this one. Oh, I don't know this one. Oh, I don't know this one. Okay, so the idea is you can have a listen beforehand, get to know the song, and then we can all sing it together with a bit more conviction and joy. Anyway, um, uh, and, one, and, and singing and listening to music, Christian music, just helps you to, um, helps you to connect your heart to the Lord. We sing to Jesus. So, so what should be the content of those songs? Well, it says, it gives us some guidance here. Giving thanks to God the Father for everything. So when you sing, when the Spirit fills your heart and you want to sing, you praise God the Father. What for? For everything. <laughs> okay, so that's plenty of scope. That's why we have plenty of songs, okay? Because we, we praise God the Father for everything, okay? So everything, you know, for life and, and breath and creation and, and forgiveness of sins and, and the fact that he has a plan and, and for his guidance through his spirit. Uh, we can praise him for his love through his son. We can, we can praise him for assurance. We can praise him for his majesty, for his justice, for his eternality, for his glory. There's, there's plenty of things. We can, there's plenty of scope there, isn't there? You see that? So we should never run out of songs. Okay? So give thanks to God the Father for everything. And we always do that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because you always approach the Father through Jesus. You always come to the Father through the Son. You remember that song? Very familiar song. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Give him the glory. Great things he has done. You know that song? That's absolutely bang on right. You come to the Father through Jesus the Son. We, we can do better, friends, than just singing our songs to God. It's just a bit bland. It's just a bit bland, I think. A few years ago, there was some research done into um, the uh, content of the top 100 CCLI songs. 
Some of you know what CCLI is. It's the, it's the system they use to register songs used in worship in churches. All right? So the most popular hundred songs. All right? Guess out of... Seven, out, um, yeah, the, well, I don't know why it's out of 72. It wasn't 100. The top 72. Don't know why it was 72. Didn't think of that when I wrote this. Anyway, the research was of the top 72 songs. Guess how many referred to the Trinity? Big fat zero. <laughs> That's a real shame and a great opportunity, I think. Three of the top 72 mentioned Father, Son, Spirit individually, which is, which is okay, but three, really three, the vast, vast, vast majority of all songs that are most popular in churches talked about God, Lord, King, Jesus, something like that. And that, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. And if your favourite song just is praising the Lord Jesus, praise God for that. That's a good thing. But friends, we can do better. <laughs> we can do better. How much better to praise God our Father, through Jesus the Son, inspired and helped by the power of the Spirit. We're going to end there. But as we do, we'll, we'll sing in just a moment. Um, I want to put this on the screen for you. We'll say this together. So this is part of the Athanasian Creed. So a little bit, we don't really do creeds very much in our kind of church, but, but earlier today we sang part of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and, and this is part of something called the Athanasian Creed. And let me, let me just talk about some of the words in here. It says, we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons. That means, we, so what we don't do is just sort of blend them in together and say, God. Okay, we don't blend them together, nor dividing their essence. So we're also not saying there are three gods. We're saying there's one God. Okay, so there's a tension there, isn't there? Okay. The person of the Father is a distinct person. The Son is another. Okay. Shall we stand? We're going to sing. Music team, you come up and just get ready to lead us. Let's say these words from... Oh, yeah, 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 go back, 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 Luke. We're not, we aren't ready yet, mate. <laughs> so, okay. So this, this dates from about 400 AD. All right, these are pretty ancient words. Okay, let's say this is a declaration of our belief in, our, uh, in the, the Trinity this morning. And Frank, if you don't believe this, don't say it. That's absolutely fine. Okay, I don't want to put words into your mouth or coerce you to say something you don't believe. But let's say this together. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another. And that of the Holy Spirit, still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Amen.